0: Section 31 of the Report of the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy, the Warren Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Report of the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy by the President's Commission on the Assassination of President Kennedy. Chapter 6 Investigation of Possible Conspiracy, Part 8 Investigation of Other Activities Oswald's Use of Post Office Boxes and False Names After his return from the Soviet Union, Lee Harvey Oswald is known to have received his mail at post office boxes and to have used different aliases on numerous occasions. Since either practice is susceptible of use for clandestine purposes, the Commission has directed attention to both, for signs that Oswald at some point made undercover contact with other persons who might have been connected with the assassination. Oswald is known to have opened three post office boxes during 1962 and 1963. On October 9, 1962, the same day that he arrived in Dallas from Fort Worth, and before establishing a residence there he opened box number 2915 at the dallas general post office this box was closed on may fourteenth nineteen sixty three shortly after oswald had moved to new orleans that portion of the post office box application listing the names of those persons other than the applicant entitled to receive mail at that box was discarded, in accordance with postal regulations, after the box was closed. Hence it is not known what names other than Oswald's were listed on that form. However, as discussed in Chapter 4, Oswald is known to have received the assassination rifle under the name of A. Hidell and his Smith & Wesson revolver under the name of A. J. Hidell at that box. On June third, 1963, Oswald opened box number 30061 at the Lafayette Square substation in New Orleans. Marina Oswald and A.J. Hidell were listed as additional persons entitled to receive mail at this box. Immediately before leaving for Mexico City in late September, Oswald submitted a request to forward his mail to the Payne's address in Irving, and the box was closed on september twenty sixth on november first nineteen sixty three he opened box number six two two five at the dallas post office terminal annex the fair play for cuba committee and the american civil liberties union were listed as also being entitled to receive mail at this box oswald's use of post office boxes is consistent with other information known about him his frequent changes of address, and his receipt of Communist and other political literature, would appear to have provided Oswald with reason to have rented postal boxes. These were the explanations for his use of the boxes which he provided to Postal Inspector H. D. Holmes on November 24th. Moreover, on October 14th, 1963, he had moved into a room on Beckley Avenue under the name of O. H. Lee and it would have been extremely difficult for oswald to have received his mail at that address without disclosing his true name the boxes cost oswald only a dollar fifty or less per month although the possibilities of investigation in this area are limited there is no evidence that any of the three boxes was ever used for the surreptitious receipt of messages or was used by persons other than oswald or his family no unexplainable notes were found among Oswald's possessions after his arrest. Oswald's box, on the day of the assassination, number 6225, was kept under constant personal surveillance by postal inspectors, from about 5 p.m. November 22nd until midnight November 24th. A modified surveillance was maintained thereafter. No one called for mail out of this box. Indeed, the only mail in the box was a Russian magazine addressed to Oswald. The single outstanding key was recovered from Oswald immediately after he was taken in custody. In appraising the import of Oswald's rental of post office boxes, it is significant that he was not secretive about their use. All three boxes were rented by Oswald using his true name. His application for box number 2915 showed his home address as that of Alexandra de Morenschild Taylor, whose husband had agreed to allow Oswald to use his address. His application for the New Orleans box listed his address as 657 French Street. His aunt, Lillian Murrett, lived at 757 French Street. On the application for box number 6225, Oswald gave an incorrect street number though he did show beckley avenue where he was then living he furnished the box numbers to his brother to an employer to texas and new orleans unemployment commissions and to others based on all the facts disclosed by its investigation the commission has attached no conspiratorial significance to oswald's rental of post office boxes oswald's use of aliases is also well established in Chapter 4, the evidence relating to his repeated use of the name A.J. Hidell and close variants thereof is set forth. Because Oswald's use of this pseudonym became known quickly after the assassination, investigations were conducted with regard to persons using the name Hidell or names similar to it. Subversive files, public carrier records, telegraph company records, banking and other commercial records, and other matters, investigated and persons interviewed, have been examined with regard to Oswald's true name and his known alias. No evidence has been produced that Oswald ever used the name Hiddell as a means of making undercover contact with any person. Indeed, although Oswald did prepare a counterfeit selective service card and other identification using this name, he commonly used Hiddell to represent persons other than himself such as the president of his non-existent fair play for cuba committee chapter the doctor whose name appeared on his counterfeit international certificate of vaccination and as references on his job applications alwyn cole questioned document expert for the treasury department testified that the false identification found on oswald upon his arrest could have been produced by employing elementary techniques used in a photographic printing plant though to perform the necessary procedures would have been difficult without the use of expensive photographic equipment such equipment and the needed film and photographic paper were available to oswald when he was employed from october 1962 through early april 1963 at jaggers Child stovall a commercial advertising photography firm in dallas while so employed oswald is known to have become familiar with the mechanics of photographic enlargements contraction and image distortion that would have been necessary to produce his false identification and to have used the facilities of his employer for some personal work cole testified that the cards in oswald's wallet did not exhibit a great deal of skill pointing out various errors that had been committed Oswald's supervisor at Jagger's Child Stovall has stated that Oswald seemed unable to perform photographic work with precision, which was one of the main reasons for which he was ultimately discharged. The retouched negatives used to make Oswald's counterfeit certificate of service identification were found among Oswald's personal effects after his arrest, as was a rubber stamping kit apparently employed to produce his spurious international certificate of vaccination there is strong evidence therefore that oswald himself made the various pieces of counterfeit identification which he carried and there is no reason to believe that he received assistance from any person in establishing his alias oswald also used incorrect names other than Hidell, but these too appear unconnected with any form of conspiracy oswald's last name appears as lee in three places in connection with his trip to mexico city discussed above his tourist card was typed by the mexican consulate in new orleans lee comma, harvey oswald however the comma appears to have been a clerical error since oswald signed both the application and the card itself lee h oswald moreover oswald seems originally to have also printed his name evenly spaced as lee h oswald but noting that the form instructed him to print full name no initials he printed the remainder of his middle name after the h the clerk who typed the card thus saw a space after lee followed by harvey oswald crowded together and probably assumed that lee was the applicant's last name the clerk who prepared Oswald's bus reservation for his return trip wrote H.O. Lee. He stated that he did not remember the occasion, although he was sure from the handwriting and from other facts that he had dealt with Oswald. He surmised that he probably made out the reservation directly from the tourist card, since Oswald spoke no Spanish, and, seeing the comma, wrote the name H.O. Lee. Oswald himself signed the register at the hotel in Mexico City as Lee, comma, Harvey Oswald, but since the error is identical to that on the tourist card, and since he revealed the remainder of his name, Harvey Oswald, it is possible that Oswald inserted the comma so as to conform to the tourist card, or that the earlier mistake suggested a new pseudonym to Oswald which he decided to continue. In any event, Oswald used his correct name in making the reservations for the trip to Mexico City, in introducing himself to the passengers on the bus, and in all his dealings with the Cuban and Soviet embassies. When registering at the Beckley Avenue house in mid-October, Oswald perpetuated the pseudonym by giving his name as O. H. Lee, although he had given his correct name to the owner of the previous rooming house, where he had first rented a room after his return from Mexico City. Investigations of the commission have been conducted with regard to persons using the name Lee, and no evidence has been found that Oswald used this alias for the purpose of making any type of secret contacts. Oswald is also known to have used the surname Osborne in ordering Fair Play for Cuba committee handbills in May 1963. He also used the false name D. F. Drittle, as a certifying witness on the mail-order coupon with which he purchased his smith and wesson revolver he used the name lieutenant j evans as a reference on an employment application in new orleans oswald's repeated use of false names is probably not to be disassociated from his antisocial and criminal inclinations no doubt he purchased his weapons under the name of hiddell in an attempt to prevent their ownership from being traced oswald's creation of false names and fictitious personalities is treated in the discussion of possible motives set forth in chapter seven whatever its significance in that respect may be the commission has found no indication that oswald's use of aliases was linked with any conspiracy with others ownership of a second rifle the commission has investigated a report that during the first two weeks of november nineteen sixty three Oswald had a telescopic sight mounted and sighted on a rifle at a sporting goods store in Irving, Texas. The main evidence that Oswald had such work performed for him is an undated repair tag bearing the name Oswald from the Irving Sports Shop in Irving, Texas. On November 25, 1963, Dial D. Ryder, an employee of the Irving Sports Shop, presented this tag to agents of the FBI, claiming that the tag was in his handwriting. The undated tag indicated that three holes had been drilled in an unspecified type of rifle, and a telescopic sight had been mounted on the rifle and bore-sighted. As discussed in Chapter 4, the telescopic sight on the C-2766 Manlicher Carcano rifle was already mounted when shipped to Oswald and both Ryder and his employer, Charles W. Greener, feel certain that they never did any work on this rifle. If the repair tag actually represented a transaction involving Lee Harvey Oswald, therefore, it would mean that Oswald owned another rifle. Although this would not alter the evidence which establishes Oswald's ownership of the rifle used to assassinate President Kennedy, the possession of a second rifle warranted investigation because it would indicate that a possibly important part of oswald's life had not been uncovered since all of oswald's known transactions in connection with firearms after his return to the united states were undertaken under an assumed name it seems unlikely that if he did have repairs made at the sports shop he would have used his real name Investigation has revealed that the authenticity of the repair tag bearing Oswald's name is indeed subject to grave doubts. Ryder testified that he found the repair tag while cleaning his workbench on November 23, 1963. However, Ryder spoke with Greener repeatedly during the period between November twenty second and 28, and some time prior to November 25th he discussed with him the possibility that Oswald had been in the store. Neither he nor Greener could remember that he had been. But despite these conversations with Greener, it is significant that Ryder never called the repair tag to his employer's attention. Greener did not learn about the tag until November 28th, when he was called by TV reporters after the story had appeared in the Dallas Times-Herald. The peculiarity of Ryder's silence is compounded by the fact that when speaking to the FBI on November 25th, Ryder fixed the period during which the tag had been issued, as November 1st through 14th, 1963. Yet, from his later testimony, it appears that he did so on the basis that it must have occurred when Greener was on vacation, since Greener did not remember the transaction, Moreover, the FBI had been directed to the Irving sports shop by anonymous telephone calls received by its Dallas office and by a local television station. The anonymous male who telephoned the Bureau attributed his information to an unidentified sack boy at a specified supermarket in Irving, but investigation has failed to verify this source. Neither Ryder nor Greener claimed that Lee Harvey Oswald had ever been a customer in the Irving sports shop. Neither has any recollection of either Oswald or his Mannlicher Carcano rifle, nor does either recall this transaction allegedly represented by the repair tag, or the person for whom this repair was supposedly made. Although Ryder stated to the FBI that he was quite sure that he had seen Oswald, and that Oswald may have been in the store at one time, when shown a photograph of Oswald during his deposition, Ryder testified that he knew the picture to be of Oswald as the pictures in the paper, but as far as seeing the guy personally, I don't think I ever have. Subsequent events also reflect on Ryder's credibility. In his deposition, Ryder emphatically denied that he talked to any reporters about this matter. Prior to the time, a story about it appeared in the November 28, 1963 edition of the Dallas Times-Herald. Earlier, however, he told an agent of the U.S. Secret Service that the newspaper had misquoted him. Moreover, a reporter for the Dallas Times-Herald has testified that on November 28, 1963, he called ryder at his home and obtained from him all the details of the alleged transaction and his story is supported by the testimony of a second reporter who overheard one end of this telephone conversation no other person by the name of oswald in the dallas fort worth area has been found who had a rifle repaired at the irving sports shop possible corroboration for ryder's story is provided by two women mrs edith whitworth who operates the furniture mart a furniture store located about one and a half blocks from the irving sports shop and mrs gertrude hunter a friend of mrs whitworth they testified that in early november of nineteen sixty three a man who they later came to believe was oswald drove up to the furniture mart in a two-tone blue and white nineteen fifty seven ford automobile entered the store, and asked about a part for a gun, presumably because of a sign that appeared in the building advertising a gunsmith's shop that had formerly occupied part of the premises. When he found that he could not obtain the part, the man allegedly returned to his car, and then came back into the store, with a woman and two young children, to look at furniture, remaining in the store for about thirty to forty minutes upon confronting marina oswald both women identified her as the woman whom they had seen in the store on the occasion in question although mrs hunter could not identify a picture of lee harvey oswald and mrs whitworth identified some pictures of oswald but not others mrs hunter purported to identify marina oswald by her eyes and did not observe the fact that marina oswald had a front tooth missing at the time she supposedly saw her after a thorough inspection of the furniture mart marina oswald testified that she had never been on the premises before the circumstances surrounding the testimony of these two women are helpful in evaluating the weight to be given to their testimony and the extent to which they lend support to Ryder's evidence the women previously told newspaper reporters that the part for which this man was looking was a plunger, which the commission has been advised is a colloquial term used to describe a firing-pin. This work was completely different from the work covered by Ryder's repair tag, and the firing-pin of the assassination weapon does not appear to have been recently replaced at the time of their depositions neither woman was able to recall the type of work which the man wanted done mrs whitworth related to the fbi that the man told her that the younger child with him was born on october twentieth nineteen sixty three which was in fact rachel oswald's birthday in her testimony before the commission however mrs whitworth could not state that the man had told her the child's birth-date was october twentieth nineteen sixty three and in fact expressed uncertainty about the birthday of her own grandchild which she had previously used as a guide to remembering the birth-date of the younger child in the shop mrs hunter thought that the man she and mrs whitworth believed was oswald drove the car to and from the store However, Lee Harvey Oswald apparently was not able to drive an automobile by himself, and does not appear to have had access to a car. The two women claimed that Oswald was in the furniture mart on a weekday and in mid-afternoon. However, Oswald had reported to work at the Texas School Book Depository, on the dates referred to by the women, and there is no evidence that he left his job during business hours, in addition ruth payne has stated that she always accompanied marina oswald whenever marina left the house with her children and that they never went to the furniture mart either with or without lee harvey oswald at any time during october or november of nineteen sixty three there is nothing to indicate that in november the oswalds were interested in buying furniture finally investigation has produced reason to question the credibility of mrs hunter as a witness mrs hunter stated that one of the reasons she remembers the description of the car in which oswald supposedly drove to the furniture store was that she was awaiting the arrival of a friend from houston who drove a similar automobile however the friend in houston has advised that in november nineteen sixty three she never visited or planned to visit dallas and that she told no one that she intended to make such a trip moreover the friend added according to the fbi interview report that mrs hunter has a strange obsession for attempting to inject herself into any big event which comes to her attention and that she is likely to claim some personal knowledge of any major crime which receives much publicity she concluded that the entire family is aware of these tall tales mrs hunter tells and they normally pay no attention to her Another allegation relating to the possible ownership of a second rifle by Oswald comes from Robert Adrian Taylor, a mechanic at a service station in Irving. Some three weeks after the assassination, Taylor reported to the FBI that he thought that in March or April of 1963, a man he believed to be Oswald had been a passenger in an automobile that stopped at his station for repairs, since neither the driver nor the passenger had sufficient funds for the repair work, the person, believed to be Oswald, sold a U.S. Army rifle to Mr. Taylor, using the proceeds to pay for the repairs. However, a second employee at the service station, who recalled this incident, believed that, despite a slight resemblance, the passenger was not Oswald. Upon reflection, Taylor himself stated that he is very doubtful that the man was Oswald rifle practice several witnesses believed that in the weeks preceding the assassination they observed a man resembling oswald practicing with a rifle in the fields and wooded areas surrounding dallas and at rifle ranges in the area some witnesses claimed oswald was alone while others said he was accompanied by one or more other persons in most instances, investigation has disclosed that there is no substantial basis for believing that the person reported by these various witnesses was Oswald. One group of witnesses, however, believed that they observed Lee Harvey Oswald at the Sports Drome Rifle Range in Dallas, at various times from September through November of 1963. In light of the number of witnesses, the similarity of the descriptions of the man they saw, and the type of weapon they thought the individual was shooting there is reason to believe that these witnesses did see the same person at the firing range although the testimony of none of these witnesses is fully consistent with the reported observations of the other witnesses the witnesses who claim to have seen oswald at the firing range had more than a passing notice of the person they observed Malcolm H. Price, Jr. adjusted the scope on the individual's rifle on one occasion. Garland G. Slack had an altercation with the individual on another occasion, because he was shooting at Slack's target. And Sterling C. Wood, who on a third date was present at the range with his father, Dr. Homer Wood, spoke with his father and very briefly with the man himself about the individual's rifle all three of these persons as well as dr wood expressed confidence that the man they saw was oswald two other persons believed they saw a person resembling oswald firing a similar rifle at another range near irving two days before the assassination although the testimony of these witnesses was partially corroborated by other witnesses there was other evidence which prevented the commission from reaching the conclusion that Lee Harvey Oswald was the person these witnesses saw. Others who were at the firing range remembered the same individual, but although noting some similarity to Oswald, did not believe the man was Oswald. Others either were unable to state whether the man was Oswald, or did not recall seeing anybody who they feel may have been Oswald. Moreover, when interviewed on December 2nd, 1963, Slack recalled that the individual whom he saw had blonde hair, and on December 3rd, 1963, Price stated that on several occasions when he saw the individual, he was wearing a bulldog or Texas-style hat, and had bubblegum or chewing tobacco in his cheek. None of these characteristics match those known about Lee Harvey Oswald moreover the date on which price adjusted the scope for this unknown person was september twenty eighth nineteen sixty three but oswald is known to have been in mexico city at that time since a comparison of the events testified to by price and slack strongly suggests that they were describing the same man there is reason to believe that slack was also describing a man other than oswald in addition, Slack believed he saw the same person at the rifle range on November 10th, and there is persuasive evidence that on November 10th, Oswald was at the Payne's home in Irving, and did not leave to go to the rifle range. Finally, the man whom Price assisted on September 28th drove an old car, possibly a 1940 or 41 Ford, However, there is evidence that Oswald could not drive at that time, and there is no indication that Oswald ever had access to such a car. Neither Oswald's name, nor any of his known aliases, were found in the sign-in register maintained at the Sports Drome Rifle Range, though many customers did not sign this register. The allegations pertaining to the companions who reportedly accompanied the man believed to be oswald are also inconsistent among themselves and conform to no credible information ascertained by the commission several witnesses noticed a bearded man at the club when the person believed to be oswald was there although only one witness thought the two men were together the bearded gentleman was located and he was not found to have any connection with oswald it seems likely that the identification of Price, Slack, and the Woods was reinforced in their own minds by the belief that the man whom they saw was firing a rifle, perhaps identical to Oswald's Manlicher Carcano. The witnesses agreed that the man they observed was firing a Mauser-type bolt-action rifle with the ammunition clip immediately in front of the trigger action, and that a scope was mounted on the rifle. These features are consistent with the rifle Oswald used for the assassination. The witnesses agreed that the man had accurate aim with the rifle. However, the evidence demonstrated that the weapon fired by the man they observed was different from the assassination rifle. The witnesses agreed that the barrel of the gun which the individual was firing had been shortened in the process of sporterizing the weapon, in addition price and slack recalled that certain pieces were missing from the top of the weapon and dr wood and his son and others remembered that the weapon spouted flames when fired none of these characteristics correspond with oswald's manlicher carcano price and slack believed that the gun did not have a sling but the assassination weapon did have one Sterling wood on the other hand recalled that the rifle which he saw had a sling Price also recalled that he examined the rifle briefly, for some indication as to where it had been manufactured, but saw nothing, whereas the words Made Italy are marked on the top of Oswald's Manlicher Carcano. The scope on the rifle observed at the firing range does not appear to be the same as the one on the assassination weapon. Price remembered that the individual told him his scope was Japanese, that he had paid $18 for it, and that he had it mounted in a gun-shop in Cedar Hills, though apparently no such shop exists in that area. The scope on the Manlicher Carcano was of Japanese origin, but it was worth a little more than seven dollars, and was already mounted when he received the rifle from a mail-order firm in Chicago. Sterling Wood and Slack agreed that the scope had a somewhat different appearance from the scope on the assassination rifle. Though the person believed to be Oswald retained his shell casings, presumably for reuse, all casings recovered from areas where it is believed that Oswald may have practiced have been examined by the FBI laboratory, and none has been found which was fired from Oswald's rifle. Finally, evidence discussed in Chapter 4 tends to prove that Oswald brought his rifle to Dallas from the home of the Paines in Irving on November 22nd and there is no evidence which indicates that he took the rifle or a package which might have contained the rifle out of the Paynes garage where it was stored prior to that date End of section thirty one Recording by Maria Casper.